Today we're going to look into a thought based on our theme. Our theme is unity in Christ for today, and we're going to call this How Sweet It Is. All right, How Sweet It Is. So Psalm 133 is where we're going to be, if you'd like to turn there. Uh, we'll be there momentarily, but I'd like to just talk with you and get you to talk back with me here for just a few minutes. Uh, so when we think of things that are sweet, our mind probably goes many different directions. Right? But typically when we think of something that's sweet, it's a good thing. Right? I mean, we don't usually think of sweet and negative or never again. I don't want that at all. So just help me out here. Interact with me a little bit. When you think of sweet, what are you thinking of? What was that? Food. food, okay. Any particular food? Pecan pie, okay. We're getting close to that time of year, aren't we? Anybody else? Sweetness. When you think of something sweet, what do you think of? Babies, okay. Yeah, good. <laughs> Some people think of babies, huh? <laughs> yes. Chocolate, okay. How sweet it is. Ma'am? Oh, I thought you said something. Okay. Yes. Puppies. Okay. <laughs> Some people would say puppies. <laughs> Relationships can be sweet. That's right. Anybody else think of something sweet? How sweet? Like when you think of sweet, this is what you think of. Yes. Ice cream. We're hungry this morning. Pie, chocolate, ice cream. <laughs> oh, you stole all my thunder. That was my whole intro. So you've mentioned everything pretty much that I was going to mention as well. So I used to drink sweet tea. Any sweet tea drinkers? Man, I don't drink anymore, but I can remember just the, ah, you know that feeling? Just like you could drink a gallon, and I would. I'd drink about a gallon a day, because it was so good. You could just drink it and drink it and drink it. How sweet it is. I thought of babies also. Like after they're cleaned up, after they're born, and, you know, they put their little onesie on, the little diaper and everything, you get to hold that child and they just smell. They're awesome. Like you could just eat them up, right? You think, oh, how, how sweet that is. How sweet it is. I thought of relationships too. Have you ever had somebody do something kind for you and you said, oh, that was sweet. That was a sweet gesture or a sweet thought. Right? So we do that or people have done that to us. So we might say there how sweet that is or how sweet it is. Uh, or when we have our favorite dessert, you mentioned that as well. And so we say how sweet it is. All right? So what we're really looking at today is, is there a sweetness of life that goes beyond the chocolate and the pecan pie and the ice cream and the babies and the puppies and the relationships. Is there a sweetness that could be even sweeter than those things? All right. And to do that, we're going to look at 133. We'll find a guy named here, David, and he's going to express to us some things that are sweet. All right. Really sweet. And so uh, if you've got a Bible, let's go that direction here and we'll read. We're going to read the entire psalm. So just hang on, okay? All three verses, so don't panic. And uh, look at what he's talking about here. But this is, this is one of 15 psalms that are called the Psalms or the Songs of Ascent. Psalm 120 to 134, they're all headed songs or psalms of ascent. And so these psalms were written for 
yearly festivals or each time they've had to Jerusalem for a festival, this is kind of like the song they would sing on the way to the festival. You guys sing on your way to church? All right, so radio's on, song you like, you sing along. So that's, these songs were written in part for those. And it was also said that they would sing these later as songs on their way to the temple. And so as people are walking along, these are some of the songs that they would have sung. Even today, there are many songs, hymns, and even uh, you know, songs from today that are based on these 14 or 15 psalms. Okay, so it's still speaking through song to people today, and that's what David uh, intended as a songwriter back many, many years ago. All right, so Psalm 133, and let's look at this together. And we'll see what's sweet. All right? How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. And it's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. All right? And so we're going to chime in on verse 1. Verse 2 and 3 are just a reflection back on that verse. As you think about the oil running down his head through his beard to the collar of his garments, the same thing with the dew that is given from God to flourish and nourish and grow. We'll talk through some of that as well. But we're going to do all of that as it reflects back in verse 1. All right, so the sweet life is what we're going to look at here. A few things we'll highlight as we make our way through. So if you'd like to track in your bulletin, you can. But as always, you never have to do that. All right, so let's go here. First of all, the sweet life begins as we become part of God's people. All right, the sweet life is going to begin as we become a part of God's people. And so what we're looking at here initially is what does it mean to be a part of the sweet life? I don't want to just think that we all agree and understand what the sweet life is. We all listed different things we thought were sweet. What are we talking about here as it relates to the sweet life? So, I'm going to give you some characteristics, but I want you to try to get to this place for a minute. See if you can get to a place in your mind where there's no influence of God. You never heard about God, never had a God thought, never heard the gospel, never prayed. You've just been born and you're living life here totally apart from the church. I know it's hard to get there for a lot of us, right? Because all we've ever known for most of our life is the church. But try to get to a place where you just have no idea what this sweet life is. Because I want you to see if this is sweet. Like, would this sound sweet to someone who had no idea of what it is that you and I may experience each and every day? So here's some characteristics, and maybe you'll agree with some of these here this morning. First of all, the sweet life tells us that we are not a product of chance, but that we are designed, we are the handiwork of a creator. Right? Now, many people on the globe would disagree with that, and they've got their reasoning why, or so they think. But our sweet life tells us that we are not the product of chance. We are the handiwork of a creator. And as such, then, life has meaning. Right? There are those who say there's no meaning to life. Live and get what you can out of it. When you die, you're done. Right? We believe there's purpose in this life, and as a result, it makes life significant. Right? And so we treat life as precious. We think of life as valuable because it's under this umbrella of the sweet life. The sweet life is also not about surviving. You ever had a day where you feel like you're just surviving, trying to get through this day or this week or this season of your life? Yeah, sometimes it feels that way, 
But the sweet life is really about thriving. Right? When Jesus talked there in John 10, he said, the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy, but I've come so that you might have life and have it abundantly or have it to the full. Okay? So when Jesus speaks about the sweet life, he speaks of it as something that should be thriving and not just surviving. Okay? So you and I are designed with the handiwork of a creator. There's purpose, there's significance, and we are to be thriving. The sweet life is also something you don't have to fake. You don't have to fake it. Maybe as a Christian, maybe not. I know there's been times in my life where I've faked it as a Christian. Right? I said the right things, I showed up at the right places, I dressed the right, right way, but my heart wasn't in it. Okay, I just wasn't mindful. I wasn't being intentional. That's, just, that's faking it, right? Just being real. That's what it is. We're doing the right thing, just our heart's not there. And yet the sweet life is something that we don't have to fake as though it is real, but it's something we get to experience. It's something that is a, a very real reality. And so you've got all these things. Handiwork of a creator, significance and purpose, thriving rather than surviving, something to be experienced, and it's also something that you don't have to work to earn. Right? Don't work for it to earn it, rather rest in it to receive it. Jesus said, come to me, all you are heavy laden, and I will give you, I'll give you rest. All right? So rest in him, and as you do so, you receive him. And you'll find this sweet life, at least the beginning when you start with Jesus. So it's a gift. Let's talk about some other things here. The sweet life talks about a hope that is certain. Right? Those two things in our culture sound contradictory. Right? Most people have hope that's like this. Right? You've heard me talk about that a lot of times. Hope in all sorts of things. But the Bible doesn't talk about fingers crossed hope. It talks about hope as assurance. Hope is an anchor for your soul. Hope that one day will be your reality. So typically what the Christian hopes in is what is yet to come. Right? The Bible says what we see we no longer have to hope for because it's our reality. So we hope for what we have yet to see. One day when we see Christ, hope will no longer be ex existent because it is our very present reality. So the sweet life offers a hope that is certain. It offers a peace that cannot be explained. You ever had that? I should be a nervous wreck right now. I should be afraid for my life. I should be panicked. I should be stressed to the gills. I should just feel like I want to die, like there's no purpose or significance in life. Everything in my life seems to be a wreck right now. But there's a peace. And I just can't explain why it's present. Now the Bible talks about that. So this is part of a sweet life. There's a hope that is certain. There's a peace that is just difficult to explain. There's a love that has no limits. Right? So sometimes we draw a line. I'll love you when you do this, or I'll love you as long as you do this, but if you stop, then it's off. It's over. I'll no longer love you. And yet the sweet life talks about a love that has no limits. It talks about a joy that can be, now get this, it can be completely experienced, fully experienced, and yet never fully expressed. That is, never fully emptied. So if I had a cup up here this morning full of coffee and I poured it out, it would be what? It would be empty. But you can never express so much joy that you empty your joy cup. Okay? It's always full and it's ever filling. It's surpassing is what the Bible says. 
It's full of the glory of God. It's one of those things that's just inexpressible or maybe unspeakable. And so you've got all these things as a part of, of this sweet life. The sweet life also offers comfort for every sorrow. It offers forgiveness for every sin. It offers protection for every situation. It offers leading for every next step. Okay? It offers wisdom for every decision. It offers power for every temptation. It offers a presence for every pit that you find yourself in. So just help me out here. If you could get to a place where you couldn't think of a God thought and you've heard about this sweet life, does this sound sweet to you? And we'll just touch the, the beginning of what the sweet life is here. Okay? So if this is the sweet life, and from my perspective, this sounds super sweet. I'll take this over your pecan pie any day. Or your chocolate or your ice cream or your babies or your puppies. When you've experienced the sweet life, there's nothing else like it on the planet. Not a thing. Alright? And so this is found in Christ alone. And we sang about that here this morning. And so if it's something that begins, how does it begin? How do I start down the road of living the sweet life? We find this here back in verse 1. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Right? Notice here initially the phrase God's people. We've got a world right now that's trying to figure out how to live at peace and in unity. Just people. Will that ever be a reality? Never. Right? There's never been a moment of peace since sin entered the world. Even when the Prince of Peace was walking the planet, there was nothing but disruption. You got people hating people, people killing people, people accusing people, people lying people, people betraying people. They're looking the Prince of Peace in the eye and they're just rejecting him. Peace will never happen here. So it's not about how good and pleasant it is when people live together in unity. The goodness and the pleasantness, the sweet life happens when what group of people? When God's people. God's people. This won't be experienced apart from God. And so we're talking here about becoming a part of God's people. That's where the sweet life begins. And so how do we become a part of that? Paul writes in Galatians and he says this, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Faith in Christ is where this all starts. So remember, it's not about do good to earn it. It's about believe it to receive it. Rest in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And so we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We believe that He lived a sinless life. We believe that He exchanged our trash for His holiness. And that when God looks at us as believers, He sees us as He sees His Son. My sins are gone. God doesn't remember them anymore, which blows my mind because I do. And that God has chosen in His all-powerfulness to limit Himself and say, I'm just not going to remember that anymore. Being part of the family of God or being a child of God is where the sweet life begins. John wrote of this very same thing here in 1 John 3. See what great love the Father has lavished in us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. 
Those who have faith in Christ are children of God. Those who are children of God then have the opportunity to live the sweet life. Don't misunderstand me. I love sitting around a table and eating, and I love to see other people's puppies, and I love to hold babies. But that's all temporary, and it's fleeting. The sweet life is ours and in us, with us, forever. So sweet tea, good. The smell of a brand new baby can be good. But all of that pales in comparison through the sweet life that comes through Christ and Christ alone. All right? The sweet life begins as we become a part of God's people. Let's go secondly here. May not work. There we go. The sweet life is going to be built. All right? So we're starting and now we're adding. We're starting or beginning and now we're furthering. We're going to be built as we make up our minds and commit ourselves to do life together. And we see this from the very beginning of time. When God created Adam and all these animals, he said it's not good for this guy to be alone, so I'm going to make somebody for him that he can share his life with. And many of us in this room have experienced the joy of being able to share our life with someone. Okay? Now that's marriage, but that's not what it's all about. There God shows us we've never been created to be in isolation. We've never been created just to be our own. And he displays this in other ways, specifically in the New Testament. Over 50 times, like 58 times, the New Testament mentions how we one another one another. Alright? So if I'm going to one another somebody, that means there has to be somebody there. There has to be somebody that I'm walking close with, somebody that I'm doing life together with. The Bible also says that we are a body. Right? That means that we're interconnected. It says that we are family. It also says that we are a church. And so David knew this. David was part of a family. His men loved him. His people that he served, most, for the most part, loved him. And so he writes here again, the first verse of Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when God's people do what? When they live together. When they live together. Okay? So there are people who like to distort the scriptures to make it sound like what they want to hear. So this doesn't mean that we need to all move into one house like a commune. That's what it means to be part of the family of God. That's not what the Bible teaches. There are some people, strangely enough, who will use this verse to condone living together outside of marriage. How good and pleasant it is when we just live together. Is that what the Bible teaches? No. I mean, you can make it say whatever you want it to say, but Jesus was very clear about not adding to or taking away from truth, from context, from what is real. And so here we're seeing how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together. And so what's that mean? It means that we share our lives together. Is it part of today? Is this part of doing life together? Yeah, according to the author of Hebrews it is. Right? Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves. But let's get together. And what happens when you get together? You provoke one another. You press one another. You challenge one another. Keep fighting. Keep battling. Keep doing good. It's good for us to get together. So yeah, gathering together for worship is good. Is that where it ends? No. Alright, so... Our little number two doesn't say it's built as we gather on Sunday together. 
What about sharing meals together? Is that good? Sure it is. Not just the food. I've had some pretty crummy meals where I've had some good conversation where relationships have been built. And the bottom line is we can eat cracker and drink water, right? Crackers and water and have something really vibrant, something that we would never have wanted to miss even though maybe the meal wasn't anything substantial. And yet sharing a meal is one way to do life together. Right? When's the last time you shared a meal with somebody that was outside of your family? When's the last time we've done that? Right? So next Sunday we've got an opportunity to gather with people. Yeah, they're different from us. Most of them can't speak English. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. How good and pleasant it is, right, when God's people live together. It's one thing to talk it. It's something else to walk it. And so, yeah, it's about sharing meals, and we can do things like that. And I want to encourage you to do that. It's about celebrating life's joys together. And so here, in a couple of weeks, we're going to celebrate some of life's joys, how God's been good to us. And I want to hear from you. And sharing past stuff is good, but I also hope there's a little bit of something present, something recent. And I was saved when I was six years old. That was a long time ago, and don't misunderstand me, and that was not insignificant but God's been good to me recently. As I walk with him and as I try to honor him and serve him, he speaks and ministers to me. So we should always have a fresh word of praise of our God to share with other people. Rather than seven years ago, God did this for me. Great. How sweet is your life right now with God? I hope you've got something that at least you'll be thinking about to share here in a couple weeks. And so we celebrate life's joys. And we also weep over life's lows. Right? And we've had many opportunities to do that down through the years. We've got opportunity to do that today. And to do that here throughout this week. As people weep over the brokenness of loss. That's part of being a family. That's part of sharing our lives, doing life together. That's part of being committed to a church family. I don't know how it worked for you. I remember when I stood up here, it was, 14 and a half years ago and we pledged to be committed to this group of people as long as God just kept us here. This is where we wanted to be. And that wasn't just an idle statement just to get a name on a roll. What it meant was we want to be partnered with people here. I'd say you've worn one of these before, right? This isn't just an idle statement that you make loosely. Oh, might as well get married today. Nothing else going on. No, you thought about it and you prayed about it and you probably had people tell you don't do it. And yet you did think about it and you prayed about it and you said, this is a good decision for me and I'm going to commit my life to this person. Highs or lows, I'm here. Right? I bet your vows are really similar to the ones that I took. You know, on a side note, it's interesting to me, I did a wedding a few weeks ago and people still want the old traditional vows. Now, some people are writing their vows, but by and large, most weddings that I've done, and these were believers, but even with unbelievers, they want the I so-and-so take you and so-and-so to be my wedded wife, or just like we quoted, right? To have and to hold from this day forward, the whole thing. Uh, so that's kind of interesting to me. There's, there's something that ties the old there together with uh, the current, I guess. But, but this means something. It says, I'm committed to that woman. 
All right, and she's wearing one, and it says the same thing, that she's committed to me, and she's displayed that in front of family and friends and her God till death parts us, right? That's what it means to be in a covenant relationship with people. Showing up on a Sunday is great, right? But I want to challenge me and us as well. Let's go even steps further. Not where we intervene in people's lives, not where we're nosy, but where people know that we care and that we love them. And so one of the ways we do it is by celebrating the highs and the lows together. We also partner together to build each other. And we do that through Bible study. We partner together to help other people build and reach others. The simple thing of marking a blue X on a piece of paper says, I believe in the mission of the gospel and I believe God can use what I'm going to give to help people know him. And so you put an X down and you're going to send an amount of money in faith believing that God's going to use that to help draw people to himself. Next Sunday on this table up here there's going to be a display of boxes because we believe there is power in a simple gift. And so we're going to spend and we're going to pray and we're going to write letters and put in pictures and we're going to invest in the movement of the gospel around the world because we believe in it. We're committed. We're partnered. That's the old expression, you put your money where your mouth is. We believe that to be true. And so where there's a shared togetherness, there's just, there's a communion that this world can't touch. Like I come in here and I'm at peace. And there's another note here just on the side. I also try to be mindful of, as someone comes through that door that doesn't know the sweet wife, what's their experience going to be here? It's not their home, right? It's not their family yet. They haven't covenanted here yet. They're not committed here yet. And so it's not about me. It's about looking beyond me. But where there's togetherness, where things are shared there in common, there's a sweetness. Now, I've heard Bill Heibel say multiple times, when the local church is doing what the local church should do, there's nothing else like it on the planet. All right? So we can eat our food, pet our puppies, hold our babies, and yet there's nothing as sweet as a local church. And so I want to encourage you, what's one opportunity you can take this week? What's one thing you can be intentional about? Serving somebody here that God has connected you with. I just want to encourage you to do so. And I, I don't know how to create the list. Just pray about it and ask God, what do you want me to do? And be intentional about trying to serve, pray, love, some way minister to somebody who's a part of your church family. All right, so it's built. It starts with faith in Christ. It's going to be built as we commit ourselves to do life together. And then it's going to flourish. And this flourishing happens... And it only happens where there's unity. And most people in this room have experienced this as reality. Where there's disunity or division, there's no flourishing of the sweet life. There's no genuine flourishing of the sweet life. There can be an abundance of people and a displeasure of God. The sweet life is going to flourish where there is unity. Now, sometimes we're our own worst enemy when it comes to the sweet life simply because we are willing to participate in things that lead to disunity or to division. And what happens then, it just becomes a fact to share. It's truth, right? We should be united, but it's not experienced. 
See, the flourishing happens, one, as you start with Christ, but then as you and I covenant ourselves with him and with his church. And where we work to be united with the people that he's connected us with. And so it flourishes under this unity, right? How good and how pleasant it is when God's people live together in, in unity. Now, just one thought here on this. There's many we could share about unity. But one thought is this. Maybe you can answer this for me. Does unity mean uniformity? Does unity mean we have to see everything the same way? You know what uniformity is? I think of um, people at places of work that have a prescribed dress. And so everybody there is wearing the exact same thing. Exact same shirt with the same logo, exact same belt, pants, shoes. Everybody is the same. Matter of fact, one of the definitions of uniformity is sameness. Now here's some characteristics of uniformity. Maybe this will help you make a decision. Uniformity is defined as a lack of diversity or variation, especially to the point of boredom or monotony. One way it works itself out is like this. Uniformity, uniformity demands change. See it my way or get out. Okay? That's one way uniformity is built uh, or conform. And for there to be agreement or for there to be peace or there to be prosperity, then you have to see it my way. And if you don't see it my way, then you're no longer necessary. You're no longer needed. So we're going to just ask you to, to go. All right? Because you don't see things the way that we do. Now, uniformity does not value differences. Unity does. Now, don't misunderstand me. It's not that we're going to unite with false teaching. Okay? Uh, Paul writes about that in one of the Corinthians 6.14, 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians. What fellowship can light and darkness have together? Right? Don't be unequally yoked. Those two things, they don't blend. They don't mix. It's oil and water. And so we don't join ourselves with error, but we can value one another's differences. Uh, unity allows... Openness. This is what I think. Let me hear your thoughts. Okay? We can be united where things are in agreement at the core, where there can be differences on the fringe. And so here we're talking about flourishing, and it only happens where there's unity. And here Paul's going to write about this also. This is just a continuation. We read verse 26 earlier. Those who have faith in Christ are those who are children of God. For all of you who are baptized into Christ, you've clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, there's neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all, how many? One, unity in Christ Jesus. Okay? Are there distinctions there? There are distinctions. Slave, free, Jew, Gentile, male, and female. We are different. We're distinct, but our distinctions don't have to create division. Right? Because we're all one in Christ Jesus. So there can be differences and still be this oneness. And Paul says in Christ we're one. And listen, this unity is powerful. We sang about it this morning. 
in Christ alone, the last verse of that song, the last part of that song says, Here in the power of Christ I'll stand. Part of the power is standing together. It's standing united. It's standing as one. How many faiths are there? One. Thank you. How many baptisms are there? One. You're two for two. How many lords? One. All right. How many gods? How many spirits? One. How many churches? There's really just one. Right? And yet we're very different. I mean, even in this room, 30 or 40 people, tons of different life experiences. Tons of different, even minor interpretations that don't affect core values. We've got tons of different tastes in food, clothing, television shows, music, Bible translations, hobbies, right? how we're going to spend our money, politics. When you just go down the list, there's just a ton of differences, and yet there can be a oneness when all the one things are in agreement. So uniformity is not necessary here. Right? You don't have to think bald is beautiful. I do. It's not think my way or get out. I think strawberry ice cream is the best. It's not if you think chocolate, you can't be a part of this. Those are just little fringe issues. I've got personal convictions that are not yours. And you're not required to share my convictions. And I'm not enforced to carry your convictions. And yet we can still be one. See, that's what I'm talking about. There's got to be an openness. It's not you've got to see it my way. You've got to get out. No. That's uniformity. Jesus prayed, Father, may they be one as we're one. So this unity is powerful. There's a scripture that says a threefold cord is not quickly broken. And here's how a gentleman, a pastor by the name of Dr. Guthrie, kind of explains this. And he'll give us a couple word pictures here, and we're going to close. He says, suppose you separate the atoms of a hammer. And each would fall on the stone than as a snowflake, each of those atoms. But when those are welded into one and wielded by the firm arm of the quarry man, it will break the massive rocks asunder. He says, divide the waters of Niagara Falls into distinct and individual drops and they become nothing more than falling rain. But in their united body, they quench the fires of Vesuvius and have some despair for the volcanoes of other mountains. And so he's speaking to the power of that oneness, the power of being one in Christ. This is where the flourishing happens. Right? So you're not an isolated island. It's not go it alone. It's find value in others' differences. One of the great ways that you see unity is where there is great diversity. Where people are different different backgrounds, and they still come together and worship God. It's like, why do you go there? Because that's my family, and we're one. Right? Different ages, different sides of the tracks, different economic, socioeconomic classes, different colors, different languages. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe Revelation 5.9 tells us that heaven's going to be full of people who are a lot different than we are. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation... 
Right? Now, the goal is not just to get diversity for the sake of that, but what we're talking about here is that there is unity even though there is variation or things that are diverse. So the sweet life flourishes where there's unity. Have you ever heard good harmony people sing? You hear it here every Sunday, don't you? Man, when that harmony is right, isn't it good? You're like, oh, that's so good. Even people that don't really like music a whole lot. I was watching a video this week of two guys sitting there with headphones on. They're watching this video for the first time. And all you're seeing is their reaction to the video. You hear the song and they're reacting to it. And it's got all this harmony in it. And as this harmony shifts and moves, this one guy just starts crying. It's like, this is awesome. Everybody's singing different notes, right? But they're on the same rhythm. And they're singing the same song. Man, where there's harmony, that's beautiful. Where everybody's on the same note, it gets a little boring. I like to hear things a little bit differently. Some of you have a, a study guide that goes along with your morning Bible studies, and in there it's going to give you the illustration of a coloring page. And when a child takes a coloring page, or even an adult, and there's multiple colors on that page, it's just like it's vibrant. Right? When it's black and white, it's just kind of dull. And so when you've got all these colors working together, man, it creates something that's beautiful. Again, it's just a picture of this flourishing that we're talking about here this morning. The sweet life becomes full as we unite together. And we're to be united together in worship and united together in mission. So how sweet it is. Right? I like sweet things, and I can't speak for you, but I would guess, as some of you have shared already, that you like sweet things as well. And I'd also have to agree with David this morning that there is a sweetness that comes when God's people live together in unity. Right? I've experienced the other side of that, where God's people fight and you just got division, struggle, stress, worry. Give me an out. I can't do this anymore. When God's people live together in unity, and there the sweet life is full, and there it is rich. And so what I simply wonder today is this. Are you living the sweet life? Am I living the sweet life? Am I connected with God my Father through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ? Am I in a covenant relationship, devoted, committed to my church family? And am I living under the flourishing? Am I striving for unity? You know, Paul wrote and said, sometimes we interpret that he said it this way, live at peace with everyone. And Paul didn't say that. There was two qualifiers before that. If it's possible, which suggests that it may not be possible, it's not always possible. And secondly, he says, as much as it depends on you. All right, so sometimes we get ourselves into thinking, oh, we've got to be united with just things that are hard. People constantly against us. No, sometimes it's just not possible. 
And we've got a lot of stories in this room that would say that very thing. It just wasn't possible. As far as it depended on me, I did my part, but I, it just wasn't possible. But as much as it depends on us here this morning, collectively, man, may we strive with all our heart to value one another's differences, to work together on things that unite us so we can flourish under the sweet life right, that God has for us here and what David said in verse 3 that's promised to us life evermore.